Hi, I'm Miranda. And I'm Stephanie. We've been friends for more than 15 years. I live in Ottawa. And I live in Winnipeg. I'm raising two girls. And I'm raising two boys. We're both wives and working moms who do our best to make it all work and to enjoy our empowered lives. We think feminism is still a work in progress in our homes, our workplaces, and our politics. And we love to learn, especially from other women. So we started Women Don't Do That to talk about issues women care about today and to inspire us to do whatever it is we think we can't do. Wanda Day Shaw is an advocate, entrepreneur, mother, and wife. She's a founder and is the principal at Liberty Co, which we'll learn about more today. Prior to founding Liberty Co, Wanda enjoyed a 25-year career in the philanthropic sector, serving as a consultant, as well as an institutional development leader. She is a tireless champion for inclusion on issues ranging from women's rights to neurodiversity. Outside of work, she enjoys times with friends, exercising, and reading. Recently, she was appointed to the Charity Reports Liberty Hub review panel, which has given her a new avenue to indulge with this love of reading. Welcome, Wanda. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I love reading a lot too, so that was pretty exciting when I was reading your bio. I wanna kick off by talking about how we know each other. And when I had started Women Don't Do That, I think you may have reached out on LinkedIn. Does that, is that what you remember too? Yes. Okay. And there is a good chance that I might have noted women for women. Yes, yes, that's right. And we'll get talking more about that later as well. And you have provided us a lot of actually the names of the women that we've interviewed, which has been fantastic. Uh, I always know if I'm looking for someone in a particular sector that you might happen to know somebody or know somebody who knows somebody. Uh, and obviously it's, it's more helpful to land interviews when there's connections. So I really appreciate uh, that you've done that. Uh, for us and just to thank you for the work that you do. I know lots of times as advocates we work really hard and uh, you don't always get the praise for it. So I wanted to just take time to thank you for what you're doing because I think it's really important. Oh, you're welcome. It's actually been a pleasure to support you and Miranda and everything you're doing because it aligns so well with my own values and especially our Women for Women Collective. I love that. Okay, let's dive into the values. What motivates you to live your best life? Well, it's been said that women with autism are hopelessly honest. Mm -hmm. So I would say that my principles guide me. Mm -hmm. And I was highly influenced during my upbringing in the social activism of my parents. Mm. So my father became involved in social justice after the depression and between the wars. Mm -hmm. And then, well, really he was active his whole life, but really foundational pieces were social activism in New York, as I say, between the wars, especially interracial activism. Okay. And my mother was a feminist and a social justice advocate as well. So they were very influential and their values were very influential. And I would say to a large degree, it's still those values that guide me today. 
Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. I can identify with that in terms of just the way you grew up or the things that you see or the things that influenced you. And that's really interesting. Thank you for sharing that. We're going to dive into talking more a little bit about uh, your experience as somebody with autism later. So thank you for, for mentioning that as well. You have had a broad career path. You've worked in fundraising and also institutional development. Can you tell us a little bit about how did you get to where you are today? Actually, following on some of the things that we just touched on, I knew that I wanted to work in the not-for-profit sector. Mm-hmm. Going back to the time I was in university, I knew there were a variety of ways in which I could do that. The bottom line is that I wanted to help bring forward societal change. So that is why I channeled my interest through the charitable sector. Mm-hmm. And I was always very passionate about post-secondary education, daughter of educators. Um, my father mm-hmm. was a university professor. So there was a nice link between wanting to bring forward societal change, wanting to channel that through philanthropy, and then the post-secondary sector. So I began my career working in alumni and development programming actually in a university in the Maritimes. Very interesting. And so how did you get from working in the Maritimes to the job that you have now? So I worked in the charitable sector, either in universities or as a consultant in Nova Scotia from 1994 until 2011. And then in 2011, my husband was searched for a position in Regina. And I actually wasn't planning on working outside the home. Okay. And I was searched for a position (laughs) at the university there overseeing the development arm. So I was the Associate Vice President of Development at the University of Regina for three years. And then our final year in Regina, I was actually a full-time student. I started my master's first part-time and then finished it on a full-time basis. And then I was recruited for a position at the University of Waterloo. We knew we wanted to be back in the East. We didn't want to go as far back as the Maritimes where we had relocated from. And so we arrived in Waterloo and we've been in KW Awesome for five years and we love it here. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think it's, I just find it really interesting, the career path that people take to kind of end up where they are. Uh, it's just very interesting. and people come from so many different backgrounds that uh, people don't necessarily know how to find certain jobs. So it's very interesting. I noted when I was doing research for the podcast that you were from Nova Scotia and my, my mom's family was from Pictou. So. Oh my goodness. Yeah. My mother is from (laughs) Glasgow. Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. That's fantastic. So so I grew up, I grew up in Anaganesh. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So my mom's, family dates back to coming over on the ship Hector. Wow. Yeah, which has the replica. So she actually has a spinning wheel in her house that is from the ship Hector. 
That's fascinating. It is fascinating. So that was always this one piece of furniture that um, basically if we touched it, we knew we would die. <laughs> it's just like, no. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair yes, enough. Exactly. You're currently the principal at Liberty Co. Can you tell us more about what Liberty Co. is and what it does? Delighted to, because I actually just announced a new focus, and that is on neurodiverse talent. So I guess just kind of bringing to full completion the point about uh, my career trajectory. We've been in Waterloo for five years, and I opened Liberty Co. officially January in 2019, and I planned for it to be a service to the charitable sector. And I certainly had the good fortune of forming individual and organizational partnerships through Liberty Co. to help to address societal change and build support and profile for, for important community programs. At the same time, there was a calling for me to pivot. And so I actually just announced within the past two weeks that Liberty Co's new focus is on neurodiverse talent. Our ultimate goal is to bring the neurodiverse community in fuller participation in the workforce. Mm -hmm. And this includes autism, but it also includes other neurodivergent minds, such as those with ADHD and dyslexia. So there's a great need. The majority mm -hmm. of individuals with disabilities are either underemployed or unemployed. Mm -hmm. so there's definitely a gap to address. There's lots of work to do and I'm really pleased to be doing this. Yes. Well, I was going to ask you about that. So I'm glad that you spoke about it. For people who maybe aren't as familiar, what does neurodiversity mean? Well, actually, neurodiversity is a term that was coined by Judy Singer, uh, a sociologist in Australia. And for that reason, I actually footnoted at the bottom of the Liberty Co. website. So it refers to differences across human brain makeups, including dyslexia, dyspraxia, autism, and attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder that we know as ADHD. Mm -hmm. So the term is gaining more and more interest and yes. more and more awareness, but um, still lots, lots to learn and understand about it. So yes, I actually did footnote it on the Liberty Co. website, and I'm really pleased that you asked. What are the barriers to the workforce? I know that's one of the main things that you've been working on that people face who have neurodiversity. Well, common denominator with neurodiversity is this difference in, in brain makeup that Judy Singer a, a very aptly uh, covers. And so we're different. Our mm -hmm. minds are different. And so neurodiversity is a really broad category. So if I may point to autism, because I'm most familiar with it due to my own diagnosis. So Autism is characterized by a, num a number of things, but uh, one, one very important one is differences in social communication. So we communicate differently, and to take it to even more of a finer point of understanding, social communication is learned for us as opposed to intuited. 
like mm -hmm. it is for the mainstream mind. So what does this mean in terms of the workplace and why are there challenges? Because we communicate differently, we interact mm -hmm. differently and they're not bad and they're not less than, they're different. Yes. And our workforce has, at our workplace, has been built for a mainstream mind. And in fact, we're learning more and more that the workplace as we know it, the modern workplace and say, you know, look, look in North American terms, has actually been built more around the white, straight, abled male mm -hmm. yes. mind. And what we're learning more and more is that fewer people actually fit into that mindset than we may have thought, realized, yes. paid attention to. And so now with the goal of more inclusive workplaces, we're realizing that in adapting for all kinds of different ways of thinking and not, not even around neurodivergence, but all kinds of different ways of thinking and communicating that we actually have the opportunity to have more productive mm -hmm. and more successful workplaces because diverse work teams are, are actually more productive. Yes, thank you for walking us through that. I, that's very helpful. I, I can identify with some of that. I, have a very close friend who has been teaching me about neurodiversity and uh, her experience. I had worked with her in a professional setting. She had moved on to a different job. And some of the things about her experiences, I didn't learn about till after. And so I think when you know somebody who is neurodiverse and they can um, explain their experience, you realize, like you said, like how many barriers do exist that you might not realize from the day to day, like you said, the systems are set up for certain things. And the other thing I identify with is, um, I, I don't have a formal diagnosis, but I do have um, a lot of contributing factors for like an ADD diagnosis. Um, and when I was a kid was told by some of my teachers that I should be on Ritalin. <laughs> so, and it's interesting to me because there have been moments in my professional career where I always just felt like my brain worked differently. Or I was reading you talking about in one of the articles that you had written about having being a professional woman who has masculine traits, which is also something that I have. And so uh, it is interesting when we unpack, you know, people being authentic leadership, people being themselves, how much we realize that people are so different and they don't just fit these molds that society has created about what leadership or what a good professional person looks like. So these are really important conversations. Yes, in fact, if I am recalling what you are attributing those points to, it could be my article about undiagnosed autism and yes. the reality that I lived with, lived with it for almost 47 years. Yes. And those, traits which we describe as male that's actually due to societal assumptions yes and societal constructs and not not because they are actually masculine characteristics yes such as i believe the examples i used were uh 
outwardly presenting as confident, unafraid to speak up in large groups, unafraid to ask questions, a more direct style of communication. Yeah. And our society has built those to be more masculine characters and traits, not necessarily because they actually are. Yes, I would completely agree with that. I want to talk a little bit more about autism and you were diagnosed in the, your midlife. So it looks very different than a child who is experiencing when they're much younger. What does your diagnosis mean to you? Well, I describe it as liberating. Mm -hmm. And that is to a large degree why I named my firm Liberty Co is because confronting the facts brings us freedom whether that's a diagnosis or whether that is a level of self-awareness that you, that you developed. Mm -hmm. And that is actually the, the other reason why I named my firm Liberty Co is because I believe <clears throat> self-awareness is the greatest gift that you can give yourself. Hmm. So my diagnosis is the understanding understanding and the realization that I have a neurodivergent mind. Mm -hmm. So my differences are because of my brain makeup, as Judy Singer stated, it's because I have a different neurology than the mainstream. Mm -hmm. So it's brought me to a full awareness of my strengths, mm -hmm. areas that are a challenge for me, and an acceptance to work on my challenges, not because I'm lesser than anyone else, but because I'm different. Mm -hmm. And so I'm able to, to work on my challenges and it's not personal. Mm -hmm. It's not, um, I lived uh, personalizing everything. Mm -hmm. um, because of the misunderstanding, of course, through, through various communications and, and interactions. And now I'm not personalizing. I am looking at things more objectively and saying, okay, <clears throat> I can do a bit better there, but it's not, it's not that I'm a bad person yes, or that I'm less than uh, as a person. So there's so much more I could say about yes. what does it mean to me, but to highlight a few key things, yeah, those, those are the ones. I liked what you said about that self-awareness piece, because I think across the board, it's just so important. People can learn so much from themselves when they understand who they are, why they do things in certain ways and even when you're in the professional setting if you know what your strengths are then it's easier to promote yourself if you know some of the challenges that you face there are things you can work on and certainly things i've learned from my friend also is the role that other people play when they're interacting with you uh, in situations as well if you're autistic or in um, a neurodivergent person that um, there might be ways of communicating with someone that you know pulls out what a manager wants to see in the work that it's just comes down to the the approach that works well for the person with autism and so i think we have a lot of learning to do still 
the way you just described that, that's exactly what we need to do in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So obviously, disclosure is a very personal, it's an individual decision. Right. What you just touched on though, if an individual feels that they can disclose, it's a safe environment to disclose and the employer truly wants to play to the strengths of the individual, what you just described is the match. It's the self-awareness of the person who needs certain kinds of supports. And it's the willingness on behalf of the employer to play to those strengths and to place him or herself in that vulnerability that the employer is able to say, what do I don't know? And how can I learn? Yes. And what's important for me to understand? Yes. And I think, yes. And being open to the feedback, because I know um, through my friend, like she has had conversations with managers about certain things that um, approaches with her that just don't work and the manager keeps doing them. And if the manager at least is open to the learning and the conversation and the feedback, then having, having a, positive intention, but also being committed to learning, I think is really important. Do you have advice for employers or managers that out of fear of not knowing how to do it well, would maybe not consider a neurodiverse person compared to somebody else for a position? What would you say to those people? Like I would to anyone who is coming from a place of fear and uncertainty, learn and educate yourself and ask questions. Mm -hmm. And, and hire Wanda. <laughs> pardon? And hire Wanda. Hire, yes, okay, well, now that, now that we've actually got, yes. So hire Liberty Co. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and what, what I will do is help to break down that fear, right? that uncertainty. It comes from the stigma. Mm -hmm. And we've gone through this with so many underrepresented groups yes. in our workforce. So historically, we've discriminated against so many groups. And it was because we were fearful yeah. of people who were different. So I'm talking in very general ways here, and I'm saying we in a very general <laughs> way, because I'm going back decades. Right. And then what we've learned is that if we increase our awareness, we increase our understanding, we learn, we put ourselves in that place of vulnerability by saying, I don't know, mm -hmm. but I want to learn. Mm -hmm. We realize that we're more alike at the core than we are different. And that we if we focus on what we have in common and our shared goals, we're far better off. And in the workplace, if we actually uncover the layers in a discussion and talk about, okay, why are we all here? Why do 
care about the mission of this organization. Why did we apply to work here? Yes. We actually then realize that we have a lot more in common mm -hmm. and that everyone is more than one dimension of their identity. Yes. And all the pieces that our society has worked so hard to create barriers around, such as race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, disability, gender. People are people mm -hmm. and we need to look at the humanity of it. Mm -hmm. And then that is the point that we need to get to and then we can really move forward and not only have more productive workplaces but more productive and happier people within our society generally yes that's very powerful advice and i think as you said like it stems beyond this conversation about specifically hiring somebody with autism or who's neurodivergent to these broader societal lessons um, that we need to do better and learn from what would you like people to know about autism that individuals with autism can flourish it does mean that folks lay down their judgments. So for instance, I communicate differently. I interact differently. It's not bad. Yes. Not better. It's not worse. I interact and I communicate differently. For me to be the best person I can be and to contribute to society in the optimal manner, then I need people to forget about their preferences in terms of communication. So going back to the gender piece, mm -hmm. people see a female body and they have assumptions yes. as to what Mm -hmm. or I should say how the woman would communicate and interact. And I don't necessarily fit those. Yes. But I, I'm a woman. I identify as a woman. I'm cisgendered. Mm -hmm. So what I want people to know is that if they continue to come with their judgments around a woman should be this, a man should be that, then we're missing out because yes. it means that I'm spending more time focusing on how I'm being viewed. And if I'm being judged, mm -hmm. that I'm actually focusing on communicating my points, which may be very good points. And I, I hope that they are. Mm -hmm. It's just that they become secondary. Right. And I'm, I, in fact, because I, communicate in a way or interact in a way that be that based on our societal assumptions are more male-like i am viewed as having as being ill-intentioned right or being difficult that's, that's or... not that's not true at all that's not true at all i'm not i'm not ill-intended but that is that's how i'm viewed 
Mm. And so I want people to know the cost. Right. I want the people to know, I want people to know the cost of not employing individuals with autism. I want people to know the cost of the discrimination, the bullying, the marginalizing. Mm -hmm. These all have tremendous costs mm -hmm. and we can address, we can address. If the will is there, we mm -hmm. can address, we know what we can do because all we have to reflect on our other social movements. It makes me really think about what you're talking there about the unconscious bias piece, right? And whether you're employing women or interacting with women or whether you're neurodivergent or if it's with race that we have unconscious bias that exists and sometimes you don't even know that you're doing certain things. It's not even intentional. So people do have to be intentional about peeling back some of that uh, and being open to genuinely learning. I think there's a difference to saying like, to saying it and then actually meaning it. And I think the meaning it obviously is really what we need to do to, to move the dial from my perspective. Yes. Checking boxes, not as effective. Yes. Actually coming with the openness to learn and the vulnerability of saying, I don't know, but I really want to learn. I like that. Very, very different. Mm -hmm. And becomes apparent early in the process. Yes. What are some of the challenges to being diagnosed later in life? Yes, yes very challenging and why it's so much better to be diagnosed earlier so it's a huge question and i'll, I'll hit on a few key points so it's the misunderstanding mm -hmm. so you go through life with you go through life misunderstanding yourself and you go through life being misunderstood and so there's huge costs to that. What we're learning from the research around women with autism is that life is so challenging that it actually becomes unsustainable. Mm -hmm. So a number of women by midlife have mental breakdowns. And that is actually what leads them to being diagnosed. And that certainly was the case with me. Mm -hmm. That is one piece, but it is just one. There's so many others. For example, the educational system. Yes. So I suffered unnecessarily in school and then in the post-secondary sector because I thought I was stupid mm -hmm. because there was a wide gap in my performance. Well, now I know through my diagnosis and the entire assessment, there's a large gap because of my neurology. Right. Not because 
I was stupid. Another example would be relationships. And this is an extension of the being misunderstood right. and not understanding yourself. But shall we say that there's a very high level of comorbidity uh, with uh, individuals with autism around anxiety, depression, and even suicidality. And that is a significant reason why diagnosis is really important and can be really helpful. I have great hope hmm. that if we move to diagnosis and understanding and acceptance that we will see a lower level of those comorbidities. We won't erase them again because of the neurology. Right. But for instance, I was diagnosed with PTSD at the same time that I was diagnosed with autism. And that's as a result of, of my background. Right. And what I say is my children have autism, but they won't have PTSD because they're not going to be treated the way I was because I won't allow it. <laughs> and I believe that our society is evolving mm -hmm. so that they, by the time they are in the post-secondary sector, by the time they're in the workforce, they're going to have very different experiences than I had. One of, one of the things that I've learned and that obviously plays into some of this too is the ge gender dimension around healthcare research. And from what I understand, that lens of understanding autism from the perspective of young girls or women, the research just hasn't been done the same that it has with men. So when somebody's being diagnosed with autism, they click off these boxes, but that's really more how a male presents as autistic. And so uh, can you speak to that? Yes, so you're right. So actually the diagnostic tools have been developed through that, that male lens and due to that male experience that it's the male experience that we associate with autism yeah. and continues today and is perpetuated through media presentation. So research are actually becoming aware of this and they are coming to the realization that changes need to be made to the diagnostic tools. So to make this relevant for our listeners, there could be a question about lining up cars as a child. I didn't line up cars. Right. I kept track of what I wore every day. Right. So that is how it presented as a woman. Okay. A woman would not necessarily check the box mm -hmm. around lining up cars. Mm -hmm. That is a simplification. Yes. But I'm zeroing in on it to make a point. Yes. Mm -hmm. The research into women's experience with autism is limited. 
The good news is that it's growing and I am a participant in research about women with autism in the workplace mm -hmm. and in, in other cases. And I am very hopeful again, for example, there's been a realization that we don't have research dedicated to women with autism and reproduction mm -hmm. and experiences around prenatal and childbirth and so on. And we need to add that to our mm -hmm. research repository. So these are the changes. These are the things that are happening. I know they've taken too long and I'm one of the people who has suffered yes. because the research hasn't been there, but the yes. good news is that there is more of an awareness. And thank you so much, Stephanie, for highlighting that because um, there, there hasn't been a realization about mm -hmm. the lack of research about the yes. women's autism experience and that we're really at the nascent stage. Yeah, it's, uh, it makes me just think about so many things around feminism and equality. And um, there's so many people just, that just go through their everyday lives and they hear things about feminism. And maybe it's interesting, maybe it's not. But when, when you break it down to very specific things, like the way research is done, you can see how much damage has been done and, and how far we need to go. So let's jump into a little bit the conversation around women. You are a passionate advocate for women. You participate in a lot of initiatives about women. Can you tell us about some of the initiatives that you're working on and how people can be involved if they're interested? Well, there are a few. And I'd <laughs> like to start with the Women for Women Collective. So this is premised on female positivity, female support, female focus. And this is for all women and individuals who identify as women. And it was born because of a realization that women have not necessarily been as supportive of each other as they mm -hmm. could be. Yeah. And that if we want gender equality in Canada and worldwide, that we might get there faster if we support each other. Of course, support from men is crucial, and it's not one in lieu of the other. Right. However, women supporting each other can bring us tremendous benefit. So please use the hashtag, and actually Stephanie, you and Miranda have already been fantastic <laughs> in doing this. For anyone who's listening, please use the hashtag women for women. Please reach out to me and I can give you more information. There is a page on the Liberty Co website and support other women and be purposeful about it. So actually, if you haven't complimented a woman today, <laughs> think about doing it. If you haven't posted some content today that's really positive about women, think about doing it. If you, have been asked to recommend speakers or individuals yes. to take part in something and you haven't given the names of women, think about doing it. Those are just 
some of the examples of activity when I say be purposeful about it that I'm talking about. When I just it, want to interject for a second and make sure listeners know it's women for women and the four is the number four. Oh yes, thank you. And I'll make sure Wanda to um, list this stuff in the show notes and also add the links to your website uh, for the different initiatives. Perfect. So beyond women for women, what are some of the other things? I know you have some initiatives with the charitable sector. Yes, I am the co-founder of the National Day of Conversation about sexual harassment in the charitable sector. My co-founder is Liz LeClaire, who's based in Halifax. Our inaugural day was last November 26th, and the 2020 day is actually taking place on November 26th. And this is because it's actually a pervasive issue, sexual harassment in the charitable sector. Mm-hmm. It's because of the power imbalance that exists. And we're looking at about one in four women, actually, wow. within fundraising, yes, who have experienced sexual harassment. So it's, it's very concerning for a number of reasons. Of course, the cost to... The individuals and society is is huge. It's also really concerning because the charitable sector exists to expand and enhance programming and activity that's dedicated to creating a better world. Yes. So we should actually be upholding excellent practices that are rooted in equity and equality Yes. When I say we, I'm talking about everyone involved in the charitable sector, donors, volunteers, board members, stakeholders. And so this is really concerning and we need to bring forward positive action and change in order to address. Mm -hmm. So another hashtag for you, hashtag (laughs) NDOC 2020. We are actually launching October 2nd. Our website will be available. We're inviting folks to join the conversation online Mm -hmm. and we're inviting them to register for the day, November 26th, a virtual day of dialogue with experts, thinkers, and leaders from across the country and actually in the U.S. as well. We're applying an intersectional lens Mm -hmm. and we have individuals from sport, from post-secondary, from health, We have survivors of sexualized violence. We have male allies Mm -hmm. and we're hoping for a really robust conversation. That's amazing. This is what I'm talking about when I just the depth of uh, what you're doing and and the time that you commit to it and the outcomes. I just thank you so much for this work. It's just so important. Thank you for supporting it. Thank you. I want to ask you, what is one piece of advice that you would give women today? Have more confidence. Mm. So many women I speak with, they doubt themselves. So many women, when they're asked to do something, they need to have that affirmed and reaffirmed a number of times right men don't necessarily mm-hmm. i've spoken with men i've asked them to to mc for instance 
and they agree immediately. Right. Women, maybe three times. Yes. Women doubt their decisions. They take long to make decisions. <laughs> yes. Yes. Men can respond in a faster manner yes. and in a more confident manner. In some cases, these are generalities. Mm -hmm. In some cases, there's research, for instance, in the political realm. Yes. About prospective male candidates only having to be asked once. Women need to be asked. So there is some research to back this up. Yes, of course. I'm talking in some ways in generalities here, whether that be emceeing or guest speaking or... However, it's it's still concerning yes um and when then when you see the numbers in terms of representation and we're at majorities majority highs in some jurisdictions majority high is not even 30 percent mm. so we need to be doing something about this mm -hmm. so my advice don't doubt yourself be confident and if you do doubt yourself on the inside, get support. Mm -hmm. Don't say no necessarily to opportunities. Yes. If you feel like maybe there is an area that re requires more attention, get support in that area, but don't mm -hmm. shut down the opportunity. Mm -hmm. I think that's great advice. There are times where I, I'm, if I know I am on the fence so it's something that I know I'm meant to do I will actually ask one of my friends that I know will tell me to do it because I just need someone else to give that kind of confirmation I think that comes back to some of the work that you're doing about the women for women and really supporting women and it, and it really comes back full circle before we get into the questions that we ask everyone in the closing I wanted to ask you about facing barriers and from what I know about you and from some of the things that I've read, you have faced many barriers. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about your diagnosis with autism and you mentioned today too that some of your kids have autism. Um, you're divorced, you've had to place a child up for adoption, you've been fired, you've been through a lot of experiences and in particular with COVID, but broader than COVID, a lot of people are living with really big challenges. What advice would you give to people when they think that their barriers are insurmountable? You're not alone. Hmm. And you did acknowledge a number of experiences that I've had. I've never been alone. I thought I was alone. Hmm. in in a, in a in a great uh, great part of my life however i was not alone hmm. and so no matter who you are man woman no matter what age race ethnicity sexual orientation you're not alone and i know it's such a cliche mm -hmm. but reaching out for help really is the answer Mm -hmm. Yes. And again, this may sound like a cliche, but it's so true. And it's helped me so much. The power of positive thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's actually how Women for Women was born through positive thinking. 
I had some very bad experiences around harassment, sexual harassment, and I had a choice. I was at an impasse. Focus on my harassers and focus on the women who were complicit mm -hmm. or focus on supporting other women. So every time a negative feeling started entering my body, I could feel it through my fingers running up my arms. I would say, okay, I'm going to do something to support women. And that's what I did. And then before I knew it, it just took off. There was so much interest. Mm -hmm. It just took off and now it's a collective. Mm -hmm. So think about redirecting. Mm -hmm. Easier said than done. Yes. When, you're, when you are suffering mental health challenges and I've been there, mm -hmm. that's why reaching out and getting help is so important because you can lose perspective. Mm -hmm. I, you know, social media can be such a challenging place at times, but I have seen recently some people opening up. I, I tend to play a little bit in the political space on Twitter in particular. And so a lot of um, journalists, politicians, um, people in advocacy, that, that those kinds of conversations and some people just saying, especially around COVID, like, I've had enough. I feel alone, you know, expressing um kind of suicidal uh, thoughts and the outpouring of support from, for a lot of them strangers when they do feel alone. And I just think what you said about not being alone and reaching out as much as it's very difficult, I think is a really good piece of advice. Before we run out of time, I wanna jump into some of those quick fire questions at the end. What is the best rule you ever broke? <laughs> I've broken so many. It's hard to focus <laughs> on one. I'm a rule yes. breaker. Yes. Um, I left a full-time job for a contract position. I have done that too. Go Wanda. <laughs> Virtual high five. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> really, really concerned some people in my life at the time. <laughs> I don't mean they're no longer in my life. What I yes. mean is that decision at the time concerned a lot of really supportive people in mm -hmm. my circle, but it ended up being a really good decision. What is your most valuable habit that was hardest to create? Depersonalizing. Hmm. That's a good one. Can you name another woman that inspires you? There's so many. <laughs> someone who comes to mind is actually someone I met recently. Her name is Scout Bassett and we had the opportunity to speak together as part of a series led by Andrea Carey called Inclusion Incorporated series and Inclusion mm. Incorporated is actually Andrea's firm. And Scout is a Paralympian. She was adopted by an American family in California, born in China, and actually lost one of her legs in a fire when she was a year and a half. Wow. And she's a Paralympian track and field. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. I know sometimes I'm not always good at the habit of creating room for exercise. And then I see some of these Paralympic athletes in commercials and stuff, which are supposed to be very motivating and they are very motivating for me. I'm like, Oh, damn it. <laughs> Gotta get up and get going. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, I don't know about her. So worth it for people to take a look. 
Final question, can you tell us about a book that made you wiser? Autism and Heels by Jennifer Cook O'Toole was life altering. I love that I've read, title. Yes, I've read so many books, uh, especially over the past two years. Mm. Uh, when I say books, I, I guess I mean specifically memoirs over the past two years. And so many have, um, have been insightful and, and really life altering. Um, Autism and Heels, the reason I say that is because it was the first time I read a book and I thought, this is like reading about myself. Right. And I remember saying to my husband, if you want to understand me, read this book. Mm, yes. It really, it set me on that path of aut autism advocacy. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Wanda, I loved our conversation. There's just so many words of wisdom. I also think there will be some eye-opening thoughts for people about their lives, their professional careers, uh, other people in their lives and action items as well. So thank you so much for just being honest and taking the time with us today. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, Stephanie. I really admire what you're doing with this podcast and I look forward to hearing future episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Women Don't Do That. We hope you're inspired to do whatever it is you think you can't do. Find all our podcasts and blog content at womendontdothat.com and stay connected with us on Instagram and Twitter. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next time.